Hey everyone, before we jump in, I just want to warn you that today's episode contains content and stories that may be alarming to some listeners. So please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions. Thanks so much. This episode of What's Underneath Masculinity is made possible with the support of BetterHelp. If you want to start therapy, give BetterHelp a try and head to betterhelp.com slash what's underneath for 10% off your first month. The reality is what I used to do was talk to you. We have a great conversation. I listen more than other men and I knew that. So I took advantage of that. If you were a creative, I folded you into my artwork. If you were in my artwork, I gave you a job. I mastered your life. I gave you a house, food, everything you need. I protected and provided for you. I did what men are supposed to do. And I would find different ways to make him feel like, oh, he is listening. Actually, he does want to talk. I was with an emotionally absent guy before him. Actually, that's sweet. Like, I got them to think that. Instead of what was really happening was what they were saying. I'm a man in this world. You do things on my time when I want it. I won't talk about it now. Don't walk away from me. Do not walk away from me. Hey, everybody. This is Jamie Heath. And I'm Justin Baldoni. Welcome to Man Enough. Today, we are launching a brand new collaboration. So you're not going to hear the podcast as you normally hear it with me, Jamie, and Liz. Today, we're doing something different. We have partnered with two incredible women named Lily and Elisa. They are mother and daughter. They are part of a YouTube channel that they co-founded called Style Like You. Now, Style Like You has produced a show called What's Underneath for roughly 10 years where they interview a person and with every question, the person takes off an article of clothing. Which is actually super symbolic to uncovering layers of our own traumas. And they're able to get people to open up in such a profound way that we thought this would be an incredible partnership and something that would be beautiful to explore with men and masculinity. Because in so many ways, that's what we've been trying to do here on the Man Enough podcast. Because the more that we can put out in the world where we're showing that men are beautiful, sensitive, emotional, and vulnerable people, that we're aware of our own shortcomings and we want to be better, the more we can show what healthy masculinity looks like, the better I think this world will be. And like you've heard me say a thousand times, if us men and our boys can't learn how to be safe spaces for ourselves, then this world will never be a safe space for anybody. So with that, you're still going to get the Man Enough podcast. Every Monday, we're going to release a new episode. But on Thursdays, right here on the same channel, you'll be able to tune in for a new episode of What's Underneath Masculinity, presented by BetterHelp. All right, everyone. You are in for a wonderful treat. We've got Jadena on this first episode. Jadena is a rapper performer, style icon, and a visionary. He's signed to Janelle Monae's Wonderland record label. He's got three albums out. He won the BET Best New Artist Award in 2016. He's got Grammy nominations. But all that's getting put aside because today you're going to hear Jadena take full accountability for his past sexism and his misogyny. That is so incredible. When you actually talk to a man who takes accountability, come on, what's better than that? And then he goes really deep. I mean, we go into erectile dysfunction and the pressures of sexual performance and so much more. This is an episode and this is a series that you're not going to want to miss. And if you're interested in seeing the video version, Style Like You is going to be releasing every Thursday on their YouTube channel, a 20-minute version of this conversation. So you can see the interview, you can experience the vulnerability and cry and laugh along with every guest. 
And remember, we'll be back next Monday with another episode of the Man Enough podcast and another one of these episodes on Thursday. So with that, this is What's Underneath Masculinity. I first just want to say how grateful we are for your doing this and for being here. We just, we feel very honored um, when anybody understands and is willing to do this interview because we know that it's not the easiest request in the world and we're just very happy to have you here and and thank you for creating the space like this is what we want as people as humans is what we want as artists so to have this space to be unabashedly genuine and transparent that is a dream come true to be honest to be heard seen appreciated so thank you and I also just want to say that we're really excited because this is the first of our masculinity series. You're the first interview yeah. of the series uh, of our partnership with Man Enough, and it's Thank very you. exciting. So. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> How are you feeling right now, sharing yourself in this way and participating in this series? I don't like to have conversations that aren't vulnerable these days. It's a waste of my time. I need every part of my life to be... Uh, something I can feel. So I'm very happy to just be in a space like this. I thrive in it. I'm trying to surprise myself today. I want to cry. I want to laugh. Generally speaking, I am trying to rediscover my why right now. My old why wasn't, it's not working anymore. So I'm, uh, I'm confused daily by my existence, to be honest. What is the old why that you don't want to be? I was raised in a family of Immigrant-minded um, culture was such that you state your goal, you attack it, you know, with fervor. And my goal was to raise the standard of living people of African descent globally. And there was three ways to measure it. Life expectancy, how much we participate in thought leadership, and generally how much money we have. So that was like, I was operating on a very like, it feels like a corporate goal. Everything I did was for that. Music, my art, it was for that. And I care deeply about that, but that is not going to drive me in the way that it, it did before. My why now is not as hardcore, it's softer, and I'm still working through it, but I care and just give art to a community and for them to appreciate it. And that's it. That's where I'm at right now. But all my old methods of like working 12 hours a day, I can't do that anymore. I don't got it. And it's scary. Mm. So the cool thing is I'm not alone. And you don't realize it when you're feeling something. Everybody who goes through a feeling, you think you're the only one. It's actually the majority of us feeling the way I do because of what our existence is now. I'm on the phone all the time. How do I manage my emotions from moment to moment? The envy I feel on social media, looking at an artist who's doing more than me. I'm not just feeling this because some flaw in my mind or my chemistry of my brain or whatever. I'm feeling this because we're all collectively dealing with the fact that we don't have an etiquette or a culture surrounding our new technology and we're letting our te technology advance at far more rapid rates than we are socially. Yeah, that's why I feel this way, you know? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what your style says about you? Well, today my, my style is 
giving a African matador, African mariachi with a hint of Hasidic Jewish fashion. I always loved uh, Hasidic Jewish fashion. Mm. I thought the styling is these guys and gals rocking through Crown Heights and like Brookline and, and Boston, just like swaggy, man. And they made it all themselves. Most of what I wear is bespoke stuff. It's, I know the people that made all my clothes. Have you always had so much unapologetic self-expression? Like, has that always been something that's been no. easy for you? I'm from like a conservative hip hop time, you know, in the 90s. You didn't explore too much until like Outkast came around. And Andre 3000, style icon, you know, showed us that you could be a different kind of man. Like, I didn't even know that was an option. Then Kanye, early Kanye, we're talking about, also showed me Pharrell. These people became my unofficial uncles. But before that, I was just dressing like 50 Cent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Bit by bit, I started realizing I could try little things out. When you say that, when you saw Andre 3000 and it was a different kind of a man, what do you mean by that? Andre 3000 felt okay with showing us the shades of masculinity. The thing that made him like a man to me was that he didn't give a fuck about what you thought of him. He was doing this to represent his inner shadow self, light self, all at the same time, right then and there. Like that was bolder and stronger to me than that time of 50 Cent. Like that, I used to really talk like this, because that's how I thought, you know what I mean? I say over there, I never pronounced my R's. But Andre comes around, and this dude got the bandana, shirtless, high-waist pants, little wigs in hip-hop, wigs? Nah, unheard of. Couldn't believe it. He just made me be like, yo, if you feel it inside, show it on the outside and everything will be okay. And you'll still get what you want as a little teenage, you know, cisgender hetero boy. I want the girls to look at me when I'm playing basketball. I don't have to act like this jock or this gangster. That was the first big, I think, first or second big moment in my life where I let go of society. You, but you didn't start expressing yourself that way really till you were 18? I changed my voice when I went to Stanford because they couldn't understand me. So I had to use more R's and that started making me talk a little bit, you know, leaning that way. Okay, yeah. you can take some. Your hat? All right, buddy. Mr. John Narciso. Amazing that. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about the assumptions that people make about you based on how you appear? I think the, the biggest assumption people make about me is that I'm put together. Like I'm not a mess. I'm a fucking mess. I step outside, my hair is done, and maybe the nails is done, got a clean fit for the day, excited, exuberant, and they think I have no problems. You know, he's good, man. He's sorted. How does that feel? Uh, it makes you lonelier. You don't feel like people see you. How can they not see your darkness? You know what I'm saying? How can they not see in your eyes your sadness? Are they even seeing you? I can see yours. One of the interesting toxic distortions of how much the marketing machine has brainwashed us and everything is that people think when you are very unique that that's because you have it all together yeah, yeah. when it's actually the opposite yeah, yeah yeah people are actually really saying 
I need to be seen or I want to be seen for who I am because I haven't been. Yes. yes. I don't want to be erased. Sometimes people dress in colors because they feel dark inside. But when they dress in colors and, you know, someone might walk up to them like, oh, you look so happy. You look so good today. When they actually feel the opposite, that's why they're wearing what they're wearing. So, yeah. So do you feel like you wear things that make you look, quote unquote, put together, like as to help you with the messy feeling or? Maybe. (laughs) Actually, therapist, I appreciate you. (laughs) You're, You're put together because you don't feel put together inside your thoughts, your feelings. And so you're you're putting your outer fit together so that you can hold on to this reality a little bit. Sophomore year in college, I felt very lonely. I didn't think anybody understood me. I had a spiritual experience that completely changed me more than almost anything besides the passing of my father. I knew an older teacher. I asked him for his firearm. He thought it was for protection because he thought I was slanging. I was, I was selling weed. But I was doing it because I wanted to shoot myself in the head there on that fifth floor balcony. And right after that, I had the thought that only God understands me. I understood that God was not a, a man in the sky, but just like existence, life. Immediately, my body got struck down on the floor and I blacked out and I felt like I was in water, this black abyss of water. I thought that I was gonna die. I begged whatever spirit or God or existence just to be put down. I wasn't doing my job down on earth and I felt terrible about it. The next day I woke up immensely happy and I started going around campus talking about God all the time. And everyone's like, yo, you weren't the same dude that was grinding on Shorty on the wall. You're not the same stoner dude that used to sell wheat. Like, what is, who is this dude? I took, I gave away all my clothes and I committed the next year to figure out what the hell happened to me. I didn't want it described in Christian terms or Muslim terms or Jewish terms. So I started going and venturing into this whole spiritual underworld in the Bay changing my perspective or having my perspective changed to me living and not killing myself that changed my style that's a beautiful story thank you so much for that wow we'll be right back hey manda family it's jamie heath here and listen i just wanted to jump in real quick and talk about therapy how badly do we all need therapy we all see what's going on in the world every day all around us in our lives we lose loved ones we have a fight with our partners our kids are challenging our work is stressful whatever it may be we all need someone to talk to when it just gets too hard and so many times we just don't go there but let me tell you as someone who has experienced myself and been open about it incredible suffering and pain sometimes at my own hand and my own doing Had I not had therapy, someone to talk to, someone to help me uncover and unpack the things I was feeling, I might be repeating the same things I had done before. We all go through life facing challenges. Sometimes we just need a little extra support. So that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp.com. You can find a licensed therapist. You can find someone that actually fits into your schedule. You can change therapists. There's no charge for doing so. You just have to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched. It's a simple process. So listen, visit betterhelp.com slash what's underneath today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash what's underneath. 
Welcome back to What's Underneath Masculinity. Are there other assumptions people make about you based on how you look and or even just maybe just your public persona versus versus your... Yeah, I might paint my nails or wear henna and jaguar on my, my hands or have makeup on my face and they'll be like, oh, he's probably gay. But I like that shit. They don't know how to deal with that. I had to make sense of that when I was a boy. Like, why did I want to watch Idris Elba in The Wire? Like, why did I like how he looked? If you're a boy who actually is attracted to girls as a child, that other feeling of, wow, this man is handsome. If you, ha if you don't have a male figure around you talking like that, you don't know how to deal with that. And there's grown ass men right now that still have not figured out how to say that. My homies be like, man, you look clean today, bro. Clean. Okay, clean. But they may not say, I like the, like, I like how the makeup makes your eyes sparkle, bro. Mm. Yo, I like your hair in the double twist strand, bro, because I like the texture of your hair in that, in that thread. Your nails are pretty. Mm. You look amazing. Mm. You look stunning. We don't say that but that's how they feel and they're afraid. And I like being that for those kind of guys. They have to rectify with their porn history, not me. Yeah, like in, 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 in female men. relationships, like half the fun is being like, you look so beautiful mm -hmm. or I love yeah. your outfit. But and like men, are they're completely uncomfortable to like step outside of that box at all. That's all day, that's mm. my everyday experience. Just men afraid of intimacy, men afraid of, uh, the attraction they feel to other men that doesn't have to be sexual. Mm. That, that's something that needs to be taught to boys, um, people of all sorts, but particularly little boys, uh, so that they can feel free to go however they want. Because mm. uh, it's, it's terrifying being a boy. Can you just articulate what you think the fear is like for boys to do that, like in your own words? Like, why are they so scared to do that? I, I think I can speak for a lot of uh, young boys, but I'll definitely speak for young black boys. The fear is being marginalized even more than you already are. I think grown men that still have that uh, inability to articulate, they're afraid of that. And that's why we, you know, we have the, the phobias that are rampant in the world right now. Because that boy is gonna grow up and I'll bottle all that shit up. No telling what he's gonna do, regardless of his sexual orientation. No telling what he's gonna do. And he's going to punish probably women more than anybody else especially when we talk about little boys, I really want them to see me like I saw Andre. I want them to know that, that I might wear this makeup on my face. I still whoop your ass in Call of Duty and basketball any day of the week. Like I, I, I still have that more standard athletic version of what masculinity is. We can be a, a bunch of uh, almost paradoxical uh, shades of ourselves and it's okay. What would you like to take off? Uh, I'll, walk I'll take off my uh, jacket. When you talked about assumptions, you said that people don't realize that you're a mess and that you have all these things about yourself that you're not proud of. What are some of those things? I feel like I have severe imposter syndrome. Why? Because I constantly think about how I'm not good enough or I'm not deserving of what I have or uh, I can't do more because this is where I've, my little success I've gotten, this is, this is okay. 
Like, I'm not really a musician. I'm not really doing enough, essentially, is what I tell myself consistently. And that has had a huge damper on my career in the last few years. I had a kind of turbulent relationship with my father, who I loved to death, but he was very verbally abusive to my mom at the time. Because of that relationship, I became very stoic and uh, I didn't emote in front of him. I, he would yell at me every day and I just would poker face through it. I saw my mom with him hovering over her and she's just taking it. I'm moved. And when I talk, told my therapist that, she said, was your mom around to like, she definitely cared for me, supported me, and I love her for that. She asked though, like, how much did she talk with you about your feelings at the time? And uh, my mom's from the Midwest. She's a modest woman. She's an Anglo-Saxon descendant. You don't talk about your feelings like that. I never saw my grandparents argue. Somewhere along the line, I, I developed like a, uh, insecurity around whether or not I was doing the right thing, doing enough, did what I was doing matter. And I don't think Kanye ever had that issue. Do you mind like sharing more like li practically or literally like what's been going on with your career with regards to this feeling of like- Oh yeah, man. I'll tell you exactly what it yeah. is. When I was a kid, the art, what, I, what it meant to be an artist is not what it means to be an artist today. The demand for content has changed all of our lives. Now to be an artist, there's certain things you need to do. Like if I really want it right now, there's a certain amount of TikToks I need to feed the algorithm. It's deeply saddening because this is not what I, the artist I wanted to be. Who is the artist you wanted to be? Man, more like a hermit that comes out from the tree trunk every now and then, you know? I, I go away, I grow, I learn, and I come back with the new version of myself. Magic. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a magician, like Kendrick is a sage. Kendrick Lamar, of course. Yeah, that's, I wanted to be one of those guys. Everybody that's working is feeding the algorithm, like weekly, if not daily. So do I want to be an artist anymore? It's a big ass question. Do you feel like there's a lot of insecurity around like you're really not successful enough? What is that really? Yeah, like if I couldn't see as many people's reality TV show, I might actually be more, at least more okay with where I'm at. I feel like I should be reaching more people. That feels both like it's both my soul and my ego. My ego though, will see an artist online and then I'll look at my life like, damn, I didn't, uh, my life ain't as cool. But how ridiculous is that? The other day I was producing with my homie virtually because this is a cool plugin that allows us to do that. And then in the background was my lovely lady playing Call of Duty in an exposed brick, concrete slated, well decorated loft that I dreamed of having when I was a child. When I was like, I'm gonna be a cool adult one day. I got that life. That life, what I just described, that's a dream. And I'm on FaceTime with one of my best friends making music and <laughs> with seven windows and daylight just washing all this vitamin D over my skin. You mean to tell me that there's something more that you need to do, bro? You need to tell me that's not success? Oh my God, bro, I, I, why do I keep doing this? But I do think my spirit wants a, more, but I, I don't wanna give my ego 
the edge because it, it'd be saying some wild shit to me. So you want to do it from the right place inside of you. 100%. And that's why the, some of the old things that drove me, like I used to be able to will myself or pretend. I cannot will myself or pretend anymore. I need to feel naturally moving in a direction that just, I have to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, the way you do that is feel what your soul is telling you. And have you actually like made some scary choices in the last like couple of years to say no to the system that of success and like more, more, more like that have been hard for you? I didn't win all year, man. I've been losing career wise. Like I, I did the worst rollout I've ever done. I never really even released some of the videos that we shot. So I, I've had a series of just like L's this year. The most recent thing was I just hopped off tour with one of my best friends and creative partners, Janelle Monet. I, I was not feeling good there. Um, she was put on and is putting on a stellar show, her best of her life. The tour was called The Age of Pleasure and I was in the age of pain. We never got it together. We were fighting so hard to put on a show that was somewhere on par with our previous. Every night we were just bombing. And the spirals that I was going into, I had a flask as a prop for the stage, but I was drinking that flask every day from morning to night, like I used to drink. I was a pretty heavy drinker a few years ago. I felt that at Red Rocks, I'm not supposed to be here. It was a couple shows later, I told everybody, I, I gotta go, I'm not, I'm not happy. Yeah, there was, a, there, was, there was a beauty and then there was a sadness as I thought about sacrifice and surrender and thought about, oh man, as I'm in this emotional moment, this is my last show. Mm. I'm not gonna perform again this year. And you'd only knew that inside, you hadn't told anyone yet. Nah, it was happening in real time. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was my fears, you know? I felt completely comfortable, but it is the fear to work something out in front of people. But I guess the universe brought me there that day to do that. Was it the first time you've cried on stage or in public? Oh yeah, by far. It was. Yeah, I think that's the first time any, uh, a lot of my friends have seen me cry. How'd you feel after that? Relieved, immediate peace. Clarity is peace. I had clarity and I do feel the courage in it. And that feels really good in my spirit. And it feels, I know I'm supposed to be right here. Every rock bottom has a basement and every cloud nine has like an attic. So I think knowing where you are in the house, it matters. Whew, that was tough. It, it took me a day to, to think about it and then a day to move. I will say, the older I get, the faster my decisions are in terms of how I feel and the action that I take. My goal is to be whole, not to be like my best self or my highest. The whole system and everything tells you that you're in the big show, you're doing this big thing, all these outer external things that validate you and make you feel like you're worthy, but actually you are completely worthy already. And, you know, it's not these external things, it's actually being true to yourself that gives you the best, the, the biggest power. That's basically. I can't tell you how much that means to me. Mm. I cannot, I, I, you said it is impossible now for me to betray myself. It is impossible now for me to betray myself. That, the reason why that's so poignant for me and so potent because it's the opposite of being an imposter. Can I tell you how good of a liar I have been in my life? Mm. Holy shit. I know how to tell a good lie. You tell 98% of the truth and then 2% is a lie.
That's how you become a good liar. Oh, I want to hear so much more about that. But can you take <laughs> off your bracelet? Yes, yes. Okay. I was I was thinking I'm pretty clothed right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but carry on. Though. That's like one thing I could win an, an Olympic medal or like a Guinness Book <laughs> World Records for like the lies I told. I used to lie for sport just because it was fun. I didn't realize I just enjoy manipulation. I'm a Excellent manipulator. Let's, can we have can an example? Yeah. One time I was dating this woman. Now, as a young man, when I was dating her, I didn't realize that like yelling is not always the best form of communication. I thought that that was me being passionate. And so I did that a lot because that's what my father did. That's what I thought you do when you feel so one time as the master manipulator that I was, I was feeling hot and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna cry for her and see if she hears me. And I cried on the spot. It wasn't a real, it wasn't a real cry. I just made tears come out. And boy, wasn't that a great, con the conversation we had was amazing. All the things that came out of that, like, and that's the irony of what I realized in that moment. One, you can't continue down that path of manipulating women, because that's what I did the most of. Uh, women don't need to be the innocent bystanders of me dealing with my darkness and not figuring out how to deal with that. Hmm. And that so often we, we see that and we call it game. Uh, but I change, I've evolved. Uh, okay, wait, let's go on the journey of how you've evolved. When I start thinking about the games that I used to play, I think about a lot of the, the men that I idolized in music. All of them seem to look at women as a conquest. I get booty and it's like the booty of a pirate. That was the memo that was given to me, either directly or subconsciously as a child. Even the ones like Bob Marley, even the one, the revolutionary, passionate, emotional ones like Tupac, all of them, Fela Kuti, like they all look like it. Even some people could argue Prince. I didn't understand yet how to relate to women in a way that wasn't like exploitative. Mm. Honestly, like the, the reality is what I used to do was talk to you. We have a great conversation. I listen more than other men and I knew that. I knew that you weren't gonna get this anywhere else. So I took advantage of that. If you were creative, I folded you into my artwork. If you were in my artwork, I gave you a job. I gave you a job, I, had a, a, I mastered your life. I gave you a house, food, everything you need. I protected and provided for you. I did what men are supposed to do. And I trapped women in that world. And I took advantage. I'm not proud of it. You know, I remember different quotes I said, like just like really manipulative things to say, like no one's gonna love you the way I do. My God, my God, man. How could I do that to black women? I'm ashamed of it. And I, that's what makes me angry when I see my brothers do that. I, I understand it, but I can't have that anymore. We can't do that to, to the women that have done so much for us to even exist. I did that. I robbed some women of their baby making years, dragging them along. They built me up. Look at me now and look at them. It's horrific, man. If you multiply me by how many billion men are on the planet, that's a lot of this going on, and that angers me. The amount that women have to rally together just for men to fucking listen to them, 
I, that angers me. It angers me that I was a part of that, thinking I was all progressive and shit. I lied. A lot of us are like that. Little bohemian ass, cool looking, you know, wear our hair, asymmetrical ass, like, yeah, I went to the women's march. Shut up. You're the fucking same. You're just sophisticated about it. Stop doing that shit. As my dad say, like, we have this traditional outfit, speaking of style, it's called Agbada, and it's like a big, huge robe that you kind of hunker it over your shoulders. My dad used to make fun of presidents and politicians that always wore Agbada, because he said, look at this man. He's wearing this big robe, but inside he's a small man. And that, that's how I feel. There's all this fluff. But inside, like, you ain't that. You ain't, you ain't really that. I want to help in this kind of masculine reformation that's happening right now. I want to help reform. If you are revolutionary, revolutionaries a lot of times are selfish as shit, narcissists. Just come out, say what they want, don't give a fuck about the consequences, and they out and we idolize them. We rarely idolize the reformers. Their goal is to convince and to manipulate in a way, in a positive sense, how people are thinking, acting, feeling. They do the work. I want to be a reformer and not a revolutionary. What you're saying is incredibly profound because the only way to break the cycles, that the cycles just repeat themselves because the rebel becomes the dictator. Yes. To reform the revolutionary, as you said, it requires reflection. And I think that that's one of the dangers of these times today. The reflection that we have is on a surface level, like a, a mirror. It's just a phone and we're looking at what we posted and how it did. If you're doing that every day, you're, where are you reflecting in the day? Because I don't, I don't see it in many people's lives, myself included. And I see that in artists. I'm like, man, from project to project, did you really grow? Some of our biggest artists. Mm. Why was it time to put out another album? Mm. That's beautiful. We'll be right back. Hey, Mad Enough listeners, it's Jamie Heath here. And while we explore what's underneath masculinity, I just wanted to jump in and talk about therapy, how important it is, both to encourage our vulnerability and our self-discovery, to empower us to lead a more fulfilling life. And you know, the first step is recognizing that you need help. It was for me. The turning point for myself came when I lost touch and I started engaging in self-destructive behaviors. That's when I realized that therapy was necessary. The most challenging part was moving forward to actually find a therapist and schedule a therapy session. How would I do that? But with the encouragement and support of the vulnerable men in my life who kept holding me accountable, I did take that courageous step. So let's fast forward 20 years in my own life. I have become an advocate for therapy. I encourage men around me in my life to experience its incredible benefits. And remember, as a man, seeking therapy demonstrates your strength, not your weakness. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. They specialize in guiding you through the process, and the best part is you can do it all from the comfort of your own home. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash what's underneath today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash what's underneath. Welcome back to What's Underneath Masculinity. So for you, was there like a rock bottom with this pattern of like manipulation and... Yeah, yeah. I was growing in power because of my career. Mm -hmm. 
And my, my visions of what I wanted to become for years, I was becoming, I was famous. I had a house, a big rapper crib in Atlanta. I had two girlfriends at the same time. They know I about had, each other? Yeah, okay. I was in a polyamorous relationship. Okay. And then I had my whole crew that was around me and living with me. So I was, I was, I was doing what I thought was, that shit was amazing. I'm like, I'm living a life, bro. I made it, I made it. So I thought I was humble, but I was fake humble. I wasn't humble then. And what, when I hit rock bottom, was, it was just years of breaking up in polyamory. Because, uh, what's that line I said in the song? I'm doing that rapper shit. Hold up, what'd I say? Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, when you break up in polyamory, you don't just lose one lover, you lose a family. Your base can't throw shade on you like a canopy. If love is patient, it's a patient with insanity. But who pities a man with two wives? Under one roof I was living two lives. You know, that captures how I felt at the time. And then when we broke up, man, it's three hearts involved. It's a constellation. It's not just the three of you. You got other people involved, other strings. Yeah, man, all them hearts broken, done. Mm -hmm. That's, oof. Monogamy, I've had my heart broken, but Having multiple at the same time, I hit rock bottom after that. I didn't believe I was worthy of love. And I saw myself for the first time. Woo, horror. That look in the mirror, like you on a hero dose of shrooms. It could be beautiful or it could be, you could see all of you. I didn't believe what they said about me. I didn't see it. Oftentimes, I wanted to talk about things when I wanted to talk about them. And I would find different ways to make them feel that what they said I was doing was not happening. To make them feel like, oh, he is listening. Actually, he does want to talk. I was with an emotionally absent guy before him. That He's acting with his heart. Actually, that's sweet. Like, I got them to think that. Instead of what was really happening was what they were saying. I'm a man in this world. You do things on my time when I want it. I won't talk about it now. Don't walk away from me. Do not walk away from me. Like, instead of, hey, she just said she needed time to process. Nah, and that's what I did. And uh, that was what sent me on a whole journey to read about masculinity. And the reading that changed my, my, the, my relationship to women that I was in love with. Yeah. Okay, okay so she's, yeah. All right. What you're talking about is a tra is changing something like the most powerful thing that you could change in terms of your whole perspective of life, which is not a love of power, but a power of love. Mm. Mm -hmm. Damn, you got bars today. <laughs> not a love of power, but a, uh, the power, power of love. love. Mm -hmm. When's the last time you made a mistake that you had to apologize for? To my partner and telling her that I was, I apologized for the way I said something, and, and it, this seems like trivial, but one time she came home, she had brought some like extra groceries and little snacks she thought I might like. And I immediately talked about the health issue. I'm like, this one has 27 grams of sugar. Why did you get it? I'm not on that diet right now. I'm not eating bread, but you got, and she took it fine, but at, at like 3 a.m., my little, my little introspective time, I started thinking, about, I'm like, bro, why did you do that? Say thank you first. Say I appreciate you for thinking about me. 
Um, or eat it. She loves you. Eat that fake Newton with that 27. Just eat it. You'll be fine. I said, sorry, in the morning. She said, oh, you're so sweet. You're thinking about this. It's not a, it wasn't a big deal. But I said, no, it is, because that adds up. That adds up in a relationship. You start feeling underappreciated. Like I said, I'm working. I'm working. I love this. I'm trying to be the best lover ever. I'm trying to be the best partner. I'm trying to be in love in front of the whole world forever. So I'm, I'm a little neurotic with it. And she tells me and reminds me, but. Like you're trying, like working too hard at it, you mean? Um, I just replay everything I'm doing. Did I interrupt you too much last night at that event? Did I talk over you? Did you not get a word in? I don't want to do that. So I'm thinking about every moment and I'm replaying it a lot. Uh, but I, that's what you do in business. That's what you do as an athlete. They have a press conference every day. You only got three steals today, bro. What happened? Every night I got my own little press conference. Like, what did you do today? Whatever do better is, what does that look like tomorrow? And that constant work has enabled me to honestly feel a lot of joy in this relationship. When do you feel the most vulnerable? Feel the most vulnerable when I'm unprepared when I am around famous people, like, like it's particularly famous artists. It's not even the people always, it's the circumstances and scenario of it, like the cameras and the, and all the, the manager and then the bodyguards just stiff on me, you know? And then they had the artist to say, no, he's okay. Oh my God, get out of here. This is lame. I don't know what award show I was going to. But I had to walk the red carpet. I'm feeling fresh. I got like, I got this new hairstyle. I was just trying out these really cool, uh, I had like autumn flowers on this Kenneth Nicholson uh, fit. Good friend of mine. And I'm, I'm ready to strut. And all of a sudden, Megan Thee Stallion, I, I just see all the cameras go, oh, she's making Megan Thee Stallion, man. Oh, she's making Megan Thee Stallion, Megan Thee Stallion. Damn, she just took all my damn shine. <laughs> and man, she does look great. And I'll just wait here. And then like, somebody's like, you can keep going. Like, they don't even care. They're not even looking at me. I'm like, all right. The way I feel in those moments, so awkward. I feel, I was such a shy boy. All that shit comes on. And then I'm just, all my poses look weird. And I look back at the Getty images and I'm just don't look, I don't look good. Like I, those pictures, that's not, that ain't it. <laughs> it's so bad, bro. And that's, that. those are the moments that happen so often. Man, I've been in the studio with a lot of people, I'm not gonna name no names, but the, the culture of a lot of the studio is extremely, it can be shady. The rapper walks around with all of his minions and they listen to every word that comes out of his mouth. Every joke is funny. And then, uh, and then uh, the bitches arrive and there's two women that come in the room and everyone's like, every, all the posture changes, the Red Bulls and Henny comes out. Somebody puts a gun on the table for no reason. There's, a, there's pills right here to show that you do Vicodin. It's just like the, the drama of it. I'm just sitting back like, these are my heroes. I'm trying to be cool. Like we're playing my music, which I'm really, oh, that's when I really feel vulnerable. Playing my music. I hate that shit. I don't like that world at all. If you look at my career, I didn't collaborate much because I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That's why I was drinking a lot. You look at any interview from 2015 to like 2018 that I ever did, there's a coffee cup mug in most of them. There's Jack Daniels and Coke in that. That's how I got through it because I was trying to numb all this, these thoughts. Like now, oh man, I can't wait to go in those rooms. 
Mm. What do you do now? I will tell somebody if I'm nervous. If I'm meeting my idol, I'm like, woo, man, you know, you know, I just went to the bathroom, actually farted four feet like behind. Like I've done that since I was a kid. I'm very flatulent. So pleasure to meet you. I'll take them through exactly what I'm feeling. And if I don't like the whole environment, like stop this high school shit. And if, if, if a woman comes in the room, I greet her with eye contact instead of letting her walk around like a prop. Why, why are you talking about these women like they cattle? I'm not gonna let her have that experience and, and these, you definitely not gonna create that world. Not when I'm doing music, it's my art, bro. I think shirt sure, for the next question. Oh, okay, shirt. Sure. What do you love the most and struggle to love the most about your body? I struggle to love my chicken legs. When I was a kid, I wore baggy jeans. I remember going to college and first time I'm in a co-ed dorm, some women walking in their towels. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm not, we didn't have this at home. So I'm trying to like have sex for the first time in a college dorm, have the whole experience. The first woman I brought, when I took off my clothes, she's like looking, okay. I take off my pants and she's like, wow, I thought your body was bigger than it was. And that shit killed me. Again, it made me feel like a fraud. I've been wearing quadruple XL pro clubs and some big ass jeans. It was the, I was the Agbada guy that my dad had talked about. I was wearing these robes and inside I was a small man. And I was doing this because I wanted to look bigger. I had two shirts, like a t-shirt and another t-shirt. I wanted to look large. I think we all did in hip hop at that time, to be honest. So yeah, I, I felt like, damn, like, she doesn't love my body. I don't love my body. It changed though. But you know, it didn't change from acceptance. It changed from lifting weights. So you need to talk more about It's crazy how lifting changed my relationship with the women I was dating. I wasn't insecure, as, as insecure as I was before. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I didn't need her control. That changed how I acted towards them. I just didn't have the needs to overcompensate as much just because I had more strength in my body and I felt more like myself. Have you had any of that with regards to like sexual performance pressures? No one explains any of this to you. That's <laughs> so wild, bro. If there's one thing we can do in our generation is to revamp a real sex education and nobody's telling you that, hey, some bodies just don't align well. Sometimes your pheromones kind of Maybe you didn't listen to them, maybe you were drunk, maybe you did, but they, it was not right. And now, you know, you can't get it up as a man. You may think, damn, do I got ED and all this panic and like, and she looks at you and says, what's wrong? <laughs> what's wrong? What's wrong with you, bro? You can't fuck. The shame you feel. And next thing you know, late at night, I'm Googling blueberries and beet juice and all these things to help my blood. But nobody explained that it's not always that. Actually, mostly it's just people say it's in your head, but they don't say what's going on in your head. I just felt like I was supposed to do this. I didn't want, I felt bad if I, if I left. It would be uncomfortable for her and me. I got to see her in the hallway. So I made a choice, but our bodies didn't match. And it's showing like also something that's obviously completely denied with toxic masculinity culture is just how emotional Mm -hmm. sex is as much as anything, as much as it is for women. It's so emotional and it's such a relationship to your power, your own power. 
And, and unfortunately, a lot, for a lot of men, we measure our power in terms of what we do in the world, what our net worth is. Um, we got, I got all these songs talking about broke niggas and uh, all the way back to No Scrubs, which we love that song, but that's reinforcing patriarchy. So the, all that reinforcement, you start questioning, I, don't, I can't have, I'm broke. Maybe I'm not worthy of sex. Maybe I gotta overcompensate. I gotta proud, I gotta pump. I gotta give it to her. I gotta show her I'm a man, but I'm doing too much or I'm not doing enough. Is it okay to be soft? Now we're recovering, I feel like, from the last, you know, what is it, 50 years of hip hop this year? Honestly, I loved hip hop, but I'm kind of happy it's 50 years old because getting old, uh, you know, capitalism got its hands on it. You stop being able to be different forms of what masculinity was. So much so that women that entered in the game had to be masculine. And that's okay too. We should all be some combination of the two, but to force or to, to deny access unless you are like aggressive, like what you see men are, that ain't right. Pants, pants, yeah. Not earrings. I can do earrings last. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Maybe a little something on my body. What's your wildest dream for yourself first? Dang. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been asking myself lately. My wildest dream is that I help to create a blue zone, which is a blue zone is a place where the majority of the people live to be a hundred. And I really want it for black people because According to the scientists, there's no blue zone in the African or African diasporic world, which I think is bullshit. I think we hiding it like Wakanda. But if there isn't, then I want to help create that. What, is, what, what are the ingredients for a blue zone? There's four ingredients for a blue zone. Predominantly plant-based uh, diet, but more importantly, a diverse diet. Very diverse, much more diverse than Americans eat. Second is exercise in your daily life and it doesn't have to be removed like a gym maybe gardening low intensity exercise maybe you have low seating in your house so you're doing a hella squats from the time you 20 to 70 you see that in east asian cultures a lot uh, third is probably the most important that you have a, an active community that you are seeing your community every day that you're not eating alone but you are interacting with people that you connect with. And the fourth and last component of a blue zone is that you are in touch with what Japanese call ikigai, or your purpose, your, what you feel you are contributing. Those four things happen to be the same things that you need to feel successful and happy. So the same things that create longevity are things that actually make humans who they are, social, highly evolved apes. Earrings? Earrings. Oh. So why, why in your body, in your skin, in your journey, why is it a good place to be? Even though in my career I've battled with imposter syndrome, and I don't actually feel that when I divorce myself from the idea of a career. When I walk through my life right now, I, I feel I feel real. Like a, a, I feel like people can feel it, it's tangible. And that feels great, because I can connect with somebody. Uh, it's just, 
I, I, that feels so much better than the way I was walking through life before with armor. I don't need the armor anymore. I am the armor. Mm. You know, I, I have enough. My aura is it. What does it mean to be man enough? Dang. Why are you man enough? I'm man enough because I'm enough. I'm man enough because I'm human enough. If I identify as a man, as I, and I do, I'm very proud to be a man. I love being a man. And it's not because, of it, because it's a man's world. I love it because it feels good to love. It feels good to be sensual. It feels good to find what it means to me to be a man and not have to compare myself to other men. That feels great. My whole life I was comparing. You may not even want to be a man. And ironically, that'll be you being man enough in my book by saying, I want to be a woman. I just want you to feel human. And if you feel that and you live that proudly, that's the closest you get. Putting paint on your nails is just putting paint on your nails. Putting paint in your eyes is just putting paint on your eyes. Who's to say that wearing extra earrings is somehow even feminine? And I grew up, you know, traditionally in Nigeria, I had to wear a skirt when I was like six years old and dance with these uh, cowrie shells or these mm. on my ankles. And we just dance and boys and girls wore the same thing. and We were just dancing. Now I feel man enough because I honestly, I feel like I am my name. I am Jadena now. I don't have to be nobody else. I was the first person in the world with that name. My dad made it. Jidenna. Na means father. Jide means to hold or embrace in our language, the Igbo language. So to embrace the father is what my name means. And I feel like on a large level, it's not about my dad, certainly not about God, who I never refer to as a father, by the way. But it's because I am embracing what I feel like a father in this world is. And I feel great about that. That's why I'm man enough. Yeah, how do you feel now? I feel great now as I'm sitting here on a stool in my favorite undies. Um, I feel um, comfortable. And I, my prayer over this, this conversation, this dialogue, is that little boys around the world can truly feel free from the emotional straitjacket that they're in. And we can create a world where women feel safe in every part of the world because boys have figured out how to feel safe with themselves and that men have helped them to feel that. So I just pray that because I don't know what my life's going to be worth, but I really hope it's something that's worth anything, any contribution to that. And that was What's Underneath with Jadena. We're very grateful to him for sharing himself so authentically with us, and we hope you found healing on your own journey towards self-acceptance through his story. You can watch the video version of this interview and see our guests remove their layers in all their singular glory by heading to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash style like you. And that's with the letter U, not the Y-O-U. Each week on our YouTube channel, you can also find a debrief video where Lily and I sit down with Hesu Joe, a licensed therapist from BetterHelp, to unpack the lessons and incredible takeaways from each episode. Speaking of which, we're so grateful to our incredible sponsor, BetterHelp, for supporting us in bringing this series to life. 
If you're looking to take your mental health journey to the next level and are thinking of starting therapy, you can enjoy 10% off of your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com slash what's underneath. Before we go, remember to follow Man Enough on all social platforms at We Are Man Enough and visit manenough.com slash podcasts for more episodes of What's Underneath Masculinity and the Man Enough podcast. And don't forget to follow at Style Like You on social media as well. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest and can't wait to see you there.